Before we start today's pod, I'd like to share some exciting news. Since 2015, the Politics Girl Project has been creating pro-democracy commentary, explanations, and perspectives, and we're getting ready to grow the project. In the next few weeks, we will be launching Politics Girl Premium for people who want to join us in taking this next step. I'm so grateful for everyone's support over the years, and I'm really looking forward to making this an even bigger project. Stay tuned for what's next. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. A couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast on Florida, on the chaos that Ron DeSantis is inflicting on his state. The rise of fascist governing, the increasing lack of transparency in the GOP-led governments, and on the attacks on private companies and private citizens who don't toe the party's line. If you haven't heard that episode, I would highly recommend you go back and listen. Not because I'm so great, but because if we're going to truly fight back against what's going on in this country, we need to be deeply aware of what we're up against. And Florida is the perfect example of where modern-day Republican leadership wants to go, with its top-down authoritarian, Christo-fascist overtones. My goal is not to depress you, but to keep you informed so you can best decide the course of action that you will take to oppose these anti-American ideals. And make no mistake, they must be opposed. Sitting out is no longer an option. Every single one of us must find a way to oppose the destruction of our democracy and the eroding of our freedoms in the name of minority control. There is no other time than this. With that in mind, I wanted to do a counterpiece to the Florida pod, one where we could see what happens when government goes right, what happens when the people are listened to and their desires are reflected in their government's legislation and behavior. And as far as I'm concerned, there is no state that balances the scales with Florida more than Michigan. Michigan really has become the anti-Florida. And I think one of the biggest reasons that's the case is because while Florida is all about government control, Michigan has dedicated itself to listening to and honoring the will of the people. While Florida and the other red states are increasingly embracing extremism, Michigan has outright rejected it. And while Republican-led states are making it harder to vote, harder to have your vote counted, and making sure the Democratic voices are all but silenced, Michigan's newly drawn district lines have made sure that after years of legally rigged Republican control, all voters now are able to have their voices heard. It's easy to counter a red state like Florida with a blue state like California. But Michigan is more interesting because of what's happened to it, what it's become or is becoming, and how it wasn't expected. As I said, Michigan was a state that until very recently was firmly under Republican legislative control. This isn't some liberal bastion. This is a conservative Midwest state. And yet, when the voters were actually heard and respected, when their votes weren't thrown out or negated, the leadership completely flipped. And the laws that are being passed under that new leadership show the entire country what's possible when our voices are heard. So today we're going to talk about Michigan, to give you a sense of what's possible when government reflects the will of the people rather than just the will of its members. I want people to see what we can do when we do the work to flip other state legislatures and get more favorable maps, maps that respect the voter rather than favor the parties. There are some destructive forces looking to take America down, but I hope that the Wolverine state will give you the same feeling of hope it gives me. Not only is Michigan the kind of state we should all be looking to emulate, but this is the kind of positive change that can happen if we focus on state legislatures, AG races, secretaries of state, and governor's mansions. As we said on the episode with Melissa Walker from the States Project, so much of what truly affects us happens at the state level. As much as we love to focus on national politics, and that is essential, real change, real progress, or civil decline is happening at the state level. As Salon Magazine recently wrote, Michigan offers real hope, a roadmap back to democracy and common sense. So let's talk about it. For those of you who don't know, Michigan is the country's 10th most populous state, with a population of just over 10 million people. It's located in the upper Midwest of the United States, and it's bordered by Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, and Canada's southern border. But it's called the Great Lakes State because it's also surrounded by Lake Superior, Lake Huron, Lake Erie, and Lake Michigan. Michigan is also the only U.S. state that is split into two pieces, the Upper Peninsula in the north and the Lower Peninsula, affectionately known as the Mitten, in the south. 
For a time, there was talk that the Upper Peninsula should become its own state, until 1957, when the two parts were connected by the Five Mile Mackinac Bridge, one of the longest suspension bridges in the world, and the people moved on from the idea of separating. Agriculture, manufacturing, and tourism are the three biggest industries in the state. But with over 3,000 miles of coastline, the longest freshwater coastline in the country, and with 40% of the state covered in water, I'm sure it's no surprise to know that Michigan is also known for its fishing. Forestry is another important industry as 90% of the Upper Peninsula is covered in trees. Michigan is also called Motor City. It's the home of the American automobile industry and Motown Records, which was founded in Detroit in 1959 and got its name from combining the words motor and town. To this day, Michigan remains the home to the headquarters of three of the biggest car companies in the world, General Motors, Chrysler, and Ford. Michigan is also the home to the biggest ready-to-eat cereal producer in the world, the Kellogg Company, and the world's largest cement manufacturing plant, and the world's largest limestone quarry. It is a workers' state. If you've heard of Detroit, the state's biggest city, or the second largest city, Grand Rapids, which was recently rated one of the 20 most livable cities in the U.S., you might not have heard of Lansing, the state capital, and home to the Michigan government, but that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Politically, Michigan was divided evenly along party lines for years. Its districts were basically a checkerboard of red and blue in every election. Then, in 2011, Michigan's Republican Party, who were in charge of drawing new district lines after the 2010 census, gerrymandered the state with precision, essentially legally rigging the Michigan maps in favor of themselves. If you're not familiar, gerrymandering is the practice of drawing the district boundaries of a state in such a way that it gives one political party, or sometimes race, an unfair advantage over their opponent. The term gerrymandering comes from Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gerry, spelled Jerry but pronounced Gerry, whose administration passed a law in 1812 to divide up his new state Senate districts in such a way as to consolidate his own power. He squished all the Federalist votes into a few districts as possible, giving his party, the Democratic Republicans, a disproportionate representation in the state. One district was so oddly shaped that people said it looked like a salamander, and a cartoonist for the Boston Gazette drew it out and called the animal a gerrymander, setting the name for this kind of behavior into America's cultural vernacular for all time. Gerrymandering essentially allows the politicians who draw the maps to pick their voters rather than having the voters pick their politicians. Every 10 years after the census, the state maps are redrawn to account for population shifts. In the states where the party in power is responsible for drawing those maps, gerrymandering can be used to either do what Elbridge Gerry did and push as many voters who might vote against you into the smallest amount of districts, a practice called packing, or by breaking up their opponent's voting power by spreading them out across as many districts as possible to dilute their vote, a practice called cracking. Either way, it gives the party in charge a competitive edge, and when it's used, it works exactly like it was intended, creating doctored maps that give widespread victories to the party who drew the maps rather than the party who actually got the most votes. To be clear, gerrymandering is something both parties have participated in, but the Republican Party uses it far more readily than the Democrats because a fair amount of Democratic-controlled states— like, say, California, who could easily partisan gerrymander themselves to an advantage, like drawing maps that maybe make Kevin McCarthy not be able to win, use what are called independent commissions, which mean the legislators aren't involved in how the maps are drawn, and they are created fairly by an independent body that can't, by nature, favor one party over another. So while Democratic-controlled state legislatures did draw the districts in seven states in the last election, those representatives only make up about 11% of the House, while Republican legislatures drew the maps in 19 states, and their districts make up 41% of the seats in the House. So when people say both sides do it, it's not remotely the same. In Florida, Ron DeSantis even vetoed the maps drawn by his own party, and in a completely unprecedented move, had his personal office redraw the maps so they were even more favorable to Republicans, including completely dismantling a district in northern Florida that had historically allowed black Floridians the opportunity to elect their candidate of choice. The governor then strong-armed the legislature into passing his maps, and when he was rightly sued by voting rights organizations, the case ended up before the Florida Supreme Court, where the majority of justices on that court had been appointed by DeSantis himself. 
and they, not surprisingly, ruled to let DeSantis's map stand. So when you hear how the Republicans in Florida got a blowout in the 2022 midterms when the Republicans in other states struggled, this is why. A red wave is far easier when you have completely suppressed blue votes. In the latest redistricting cycle of 2020, the majority of congressional districts were created through map drawing processes controlled or dominated by one party, with 26 states passing maps on wholly or almost wholly party line votes. And I'm sure I don't need to tell you how terrible that is for democracy. Because where does the voice of the people fit in if the maps are being drawn by a party to favor a party? However, 2022 also saw some notable changes, with an increased number of maps being drawn or modified by state courts and two additional states using independent commissions for the first time. And one of those states was Michigan. And that's where it starts to get interesting. Republican gerrymandering had been working overtime in Michigan for years. Over the decade, the districts that used to be almost evenly balanced red and blue had become almost exclusively red, as the Republican legislature used the maps to consolidate their power. It got to the point where the Republican Party controlled almost every level of government in Michigan, from the state Supreme Court to municipal workers and everyone in between. 2016 was a shellacking for the Democrats in Michigan. Donald Trump won the state by just over 10,000 votes, the closest presidential race in the state's history, after Obama had won the state in 2012 by 9.5%. The House sent nine Republican representatives and only five Democrats to Congress. The state houses had 63 Republicans to 46 Democrats. It was bad. Things turned around a bit when all the state races, governorship, AG, and secretary of state, went to the Democrats, and women Democrats at that, in 2018. But even with the Democrats winning at the top of the ticket, and Michigan having two Democrats as their U.S. state senators, a real reflection of how the state as a whole felt about the parties, the House districts and state legislative races were still drawn in such a way as to allow Republicans to hold legislative control. In fact, even while the Republican Party lost seats in 2018, they were able to maintain the majority in both chambers in the Michigan state legislature, even while the Democrats won the popular vote. That redistricting in 2011 really pushed what the voters wanted out of the way of what the Republicans wanted. And when the voters are silenced, bad things can happen. I believe it's this kind of one-party rule when no one, not even the voters, have a check on their power that leads to things like the Flint water crisis. All the decisions, all the laws, and all the oversight, such as it was, in Flint, Michigan, was under Republican control. Even when the water crisis became obvious, the Republicans appointed their own emergency managers to look into the problem. And like anyone who gets to police themselves, they found themselves blameless. The severe mismanagement of Flint's drinking water was a tragedy that never should have happened. And just to be sure we're all on the same page, in 2014, the city of Flint, Michigan, switched its drinking water supply from the Detroit water system to the Flint River to save money because the Republican government was deeply in debt. The new water was not properly treated. And when finally tested, independently because of the work of local residents who were being ignored, it showed that the city was essentially poisoning its citizens. Everyone knew the Flint River was a waste disposal site. Many of the local industries, including car and meatpacking districts, dumped their waste into the river. In fact, when state Republicans decided to end the city's five-decade practice of piping in treated water from Detroit in favor of the cheaper alternative of the Flint River, the river had already caught fire twice. And although the water was known to be highly corrosive, Flint officials failed to treat it. So as the water traveled through the pipes, it leached lead out and piped that leaded water into thousands of homes. The residents tried to tell their elected official there was a problem, even going so far as to carry their water into city and state offices to show them what they were dealing with. But Republican officials continued to maintain that the water was safe. It wasn't until almost a year later when a group of researchers at Virginia Tech revealed the citywide lead levels had spiked more than 40%, and nearly 17% of samples were registering way higher than above the federal action level. In the end, almost 9,000 children had been supplied lead-contaminated water for 18 months, which according to the pediatrician is one of the most damning things you can do to a child in their entire life's course trajectory. 
Eventually, the Michigan Civil Rights Commission, a state-established body, concluded that poor government response was a result of systemic racism. So the combination of one-party rule, when that one party is the only check on itself, and that party also happens to be against environmental regulations and corporate regulations and lacks on healthcare, and let's be honest, a little bit racist, considering that Flint itself is a majority black town, they basically poisoned an entire town and an entire generation of young people, and there was no one for them to answer to. The residents of Flint did eventually win a major civil settlement, but many are still waiting on both their payout and the long-term damage that may have been done to their health and their children's health. But there is understandably residual anger towards how an entire town could be poisoned and no one was held criminally accountable. And that's a worthy question. Who holds the people in charge accountable, especially when they're policing themselves? And how do you stop that when the people in power have rigged the game to make sure they stay in power? Which is why what happened between 2016 and 2018 in Michigan is so fascinating. As I said before, since the 2010 redistricting, Michigan had basically become a one-party state, with the Republicans all but gerrymandering the Democrats out of any real power. But after the 2016 election, a Michigan resident, a 26-year-old named Katie Fahey, found herself, like many of us, stunned by Donald Trump's victory. Now, Katie's not some diehard liberal. She's been quoted saying she hates politics, that she can't stand cable news, and that she refuses to identify with any particular party. But she did believe that things should change. So she dedicated her time and energy to launching and then leading a grassroots campaign to stop gerrymandering in Michigan. And spoiler alert, it worked. Here's the thing I want you to remember as you hear this story. Sometimes, often even, we cannot wait for the people in charge to do the right thing. As we can see from everything from our Supreme Court to the Flint water crisis, often the people in charge don't do the right thing. As Katie herself said, part of the problem is that we have everyone looking for a savior, whether that's an individual politician or a political party. So we are not working hard enough to make sure our voices stay at the table, and then we end up watching what's being done. At the end of the day, it often comes down to those of us who want to make a difference, working our asses off to make sure that difference happens. Katie went into the election in 2016 thinking, like many of us did, that Hillary Clinton was going to win. But when she didn't, Katie knew she was going to have to go home for the holidays and deal with a politically divided family. Like a lot of people in America, her family tried to steer clear of talking about politics, but her dad's veteran status meant patriotism and the Republican Party was a big part of their lives. So an attempt to find something to discuss at the Thanksgiving dinner that wouldn't end up with everyone screaming at each other, she turned her attention to gerrymandering. She said she didn't want to talk about who everyone voted for, but she thought if she could talk about getting back to one person, one vote, that might be something that would appeal to everyone. As I said before, gerrymandering itself has been around for a long time, but with an increasingly extreme Republican Party, who are clearly having trouble appealing to voters on the issues, in combination with new technologies and data harvesting, gerrymandering in America has been cranked up to an 11. So here was Katie, preparing for her first post-Trump election dinner in one of the most gerrymandered states in America, trying to figure out something everyone could agree on. And she thought map fairness might be it. After all, leaked emails in Michigan had revealed Republicans boasting about packing the Dem garbage into select districts during their previous legislative district redrawing process. So prior to seeing her family, Katie posted a Facebook status that said, I would like to take on gerrymandering in Michigan. If you're interested in doing this as well, please let me know. Smiley face. Within hours, she created a new Facebook group and the nonpartisan Voters Not Politicians, or VNP, was born. Over the next few months, and with the support of her family, the supporters and members of the Voters Not Politicians Facebook group strategized and bonded online. Katie said it helped to build her confidence to not have to meet anyone in person because she found it easier to be vulnerable behind a screen. But by March 2017, she and her fellow volunteers started holding actual meetings across the state to ask residents how they would like to see new redistricting work. Now, political insiders were unsurprisingly very dismissive of her plan. There is a way of doing things in politics, and this was not it. 
Katie was told it was crazy to be talking to people about ideas before they'd even changed the Constitution. But she said, isn't that how democracy is supposed to work? Aren't we supposed to talk to the people? And talk to the people she did. In fact, Katie was so good in front of people that Republicans started rumors that she was a paid actor, a plant supplied by the Democrats, that her Facebook origin story was a hoax. And I want you to know this happens all the time. You take someone who's a good leader doing good things for the right reasons and you undermine them by accusing them of being a paid shill. It also doesn't help that she was young and a woman, two things that people often dismiss outright. But in Katie's case, she really was just an active citizen who cared about her state and the state of her country, and she wanted to do something. Her goal was to end gerrymandering, but her strategy was far more populist. After 33 days of discussions, voters, not politicians, came up with a final proposal, which was the idea to take the power out of politicians' hands, starting with the 2021 redistricting, by creating a 13-person citizen committee composed of Republicans, Democrats, and unaffiliated people. But this idea was just the beginning. VNP had to get the proposal for this independent committee on the ballot as a constitutional amendment before the November 2018 midterms. And to do that, they needed 315,000 signatures, and they only had 180 days. As Katie said, normally before you announced a proposed constitutional amendment, you have your own constitutional language written, and you've raised millions of dollars. We'd just opened a bank account and had very limited funds and virtually no experience. Not to mention, they were constantly undermined by the political powers that be. Undeterred, Katie and her group signed up 4,000 volunteers, many of whom who had never been politically active before, to contribute their skills to the goal of getting this proposal on the ballot. She even had a woodcarver help make the clipboards that people would use to get the signatures. Some celebrities got wind of the project and people like Jennifer Lawrence and Arnold Schwarzenegger publicly offered their support. It turned out that the fairness of the proposal itself appealed to all kinds of people. Republicans and independent voters, along with Democrats, were eager to sign. Many Republicans even volunteered for the campaign. Enough people seemed to understand that non-competitive districts actually serve no one but the party bosses and the people truly committed to partisan politics. Yes, your party might be in charge, but why do they have to listen to you if they can't lose? I mean, look at Flint. Maybe it served everyone if the whole system was just more fair. Voters, not politicians, ended up getting more than 425,000 signatures two months before their deadline. And on election day, their proposal, Prop 2, passed with 61% of the vote. For the first time in Michigan's history, the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, or MICRC, would be in charge of redistricting and drawing fairer, more independent maps. The MICRC ended up being comprised of 13 citizens from across the state of Michigan, randomly selected from over 9,000 applicants, which included four people who affiliated with the Democratic Party, four people who affiliated with the Republican Party, and five independents who didn't affiliate with either party. These 13 people would have exclusive authority to redistrict the state under Article 4, Section 6 of the Michigan Constitution. Katie said it perfectly. People don't realize their own power. A lot of people, especially women, were so reluctant to get involved. But after the campaign ended, about 17 of the volunteers ended up running for local office. They could see that change could really happen, that their voices and work had really mattered. And for those of us looking back on the story now, it's hard to miss the difference that one person with an enthusiastic commitment to a good plan can truly make to American democracy. Due to the hard work of voters, not politicians, Michigan's district lines were redrawn by the nonpartisan MICRC after the 2020 census. The process of adopting these new maps involved at least 15 public hearings and were overseen by many levels of oversight to keep things fair and balanced, offering the public multiple ways to weigh in. Everything about the process was transparent and it balanced the voices of the parties with the voices of the unaffiliated voters. The process used logic and common sense, and when the lines were finally drawn, the districts were no longer weighted to favor one party over another. And that fairness changed everything. So, 
Four years after the independent commission was put on the ballot, Democrats were able to flip the state legislature from Republican to Democratic control. It turns out the state wasn't in fact red, but purple. And with issues that people cared about on the ballot, the Democrats were able to win control of both houses in the state legislature, as well as keeping the governorship. A trifecta. Something Democrats hadn't had in Michigan for 40 years. Conservatives have been working for decades to take over state legislatures, recognizing that the legislatures are where the real power lies, especially since they were having more and more difficulty winning federal elections. I say this all the time, but we can't just dial in in election years. In fact, if you want to make real change in America, you need to be involved years before an election in order to really make a difference. The Republicans have understood this long game strategy for years, and it's time we finally started catching up. Michigan had a record-breaking turnout for the midterm elections in 2022, with 4.45 million voters casting a ballot, beating their former record set in 2018 when 4.43 million voters cast a ballot. Flipping Michigan's state legislature was a major win for democracy and for anyone who cares about the will of the voter. As Governor Whitmer herself said, this victory belongs to those who made their voices heard. We're reminded that this office doesn't belong to any person or party. It belongs to all of us. The 2022 election saw a clean sweep of all statewide races, from governor to attorney general to secretary of state, and Michigan also voted to enshrine the right of abortion into the Constitution. With that kind of power and wind at their back, the newly Democratic leadership was able to move fast to accomplish what the voters had asked for. They were literally able to deliver on their promises. So far, among other things, the state government has voted to amend the state's civil rights law to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. They voted to repeal a 1931 law criminalizing abortion drugs to reflect the Michigan voters' overwhelming support for abortion now in the Constitution. Leadership reversed a right-to-work law that Republicans had passed in 2012 that unions and workers hated, becoming the first state to scrap a right-to-work law since the 1960s. They voted to reestablish a wage law, which would require contractors on state projects to provide their workers with union-level compensation and union-level benefits. They restored tax exemption for pensioners and expanded the earned income tax credit so eligible working families could save money. Governor Whitmer has also already signed into law bills protecting the rights of LGBTQ citizens, and immediately after the shooting at Michigan State University, the Democratic government passed a whole list of gun safety provisions, including expanded background checks, safe storage laws, and red flag laws. The legislature is also expanding election protections by instituting automatic voter registration, reinstating the voting rights of ex-felons, criminalizing the harassment of election workers, and broadening access to early voting. I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. We should be making it easier to vote, not harder. The only people who don't want you voting are people who know they can't win when you vote. I truly believe there are so many states that aren't red, but blue suppressed. And we, just like Katie Fahey, must commit to doing something about it. But the Democratic win in Michigan was also about turnout. Democrats made sure there was a series of citizen-led measures on the ballot, things that people actually cared about, like voting rights and reproductive freedoms that would encourage and energize their base to come out and vote. People were fired up to vote for the things that they wanted, and they were voting in districts that finally allowed their votes for their legislators to be counted. What happened in 2022 wouldn't have been possible without what happened in 2018. If Michigan had their old districts, the measures might have passed, but they might not have made it through the legislature as it would have remained a Republican majority because the Democrats had simply been drawn out of power. In this case, the voters came out for the ballot initiatives they wanted, but the candidates they chose also had a chance to win. Democrats in the legislature also benefited from what pollsters call the coattail effect. At the top of the ballot, strong candidates like Whitmer, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, and AG Dana Nassell all won re-election by between 8 and 15 points, which helped power Democratic candidates down the ballot and in all the competitive U.S. House seats. 
I will say the Republicans also ran a particularly weak group of candidates, harping on the completely weak group of issues. This is what you get when you run a culture war election rather than an issues-based election. While Whitmer and the other Democrats focused on abortion rights, voting rights, local issues that would affect the citizens across Michigan, the Republicans focused on election denialism and culture war crises. The Republican candidates were increasingly extreme, and that just didn't resonate with responsible Michigan voters. In fact, analysts found that 27,000 Republicans voted for Whitmer, while over 200,000 Republican-leaning independents just didn't vote. The Democrats had also worked hard to get new voters registered and to turn out young voters and to make sure they were talking about things that those people cared about. Democratic floor leader Youssef Rabihi didn't run for re-election in 2022, but instead he spent his time campaigning for the party, spending election day itself at a university campus, signing up hundreds of young people to vote last minute, something that was only made possible by the passage of another ballot initiative in 2018 that expanded voting rights to include same-day registration. So while Republicans expected to maintain their grip on the state legislature, it was the Democrats who ended up taking control of both the Senate and the House, sweeping the statewide offices at the top of the ticket and retaining control of the state Supreme Court while winning a majority of U.S. House seats. And both U.S. senators from Michigan are also still Democrats. Now, to be clear, None of this makes Michigan a blue state or immune from extremism. It just means that the leadership finally represents the will of the voter. And with the Democrats in the majority, 56 to 54 in the House and 20 to 18 in the Senate, if they can keep their coalition together, which so far they've been able to, they can really deliver on their promises. Republicans are always telling us that government doesn't work. And then when they get into power, they make sure it doesn't. Michigan is showing us what it looks like when government does what it says it's going to do, when it answers to the will of the people it serves. As they wrote in Salon magazine, bad news never takes time off, so it's crucial to make full use of the silver linings that accompany the clouds. Michigan is that silver lining. One of the things the people of America keep telling us over and over again, despite the increasingly barbaric laws passing in red states across the country, is that the majority of us want abortion rights. Experts say it was abortion that drove women and young voters to the polls in 2022. And in ballot measures in places like Kansas and to the Supreme Court race in places like Wisconsin, when asked what single issue was motivating them to vote, 43% of respondents said abortion, which, for the record, topped inflation by 14 points. It's almost as if people can see that when the government feels they can strip the rights from half the population against the will of the majority of the country, it's no longer just an abortion issue or a woman's rights issue. It's a human rights issue. And if we're really being honest, abortion is also an economic issue. And it's not a huge stretch to think that once the government starts taking away established rights, they're not going to stop with just one group. Almost everyone is in danger of a government who oversteps like that, which is why it meant so much that Michigan Democrats ran so wholeheartedly to support abortion rights and the rights of the people. In fact, in her victory speech, Governor Whitmer wore a big gold pin on her fuchsia jacket that said, bans off our bodies. They aren't mincing words. They represent the rights of the people in Michigan, and they're winning because of it. The 2022 Michigan ballot included a proposal to amend the state constitution and establish new individual rights to reproductive freedom, including the individual's rights to make all decisions about pregnancy and abortion. The measure still allowed the state to regulate abortion in some cases, but it forbid prosecution of individuals exercising that established right. Compare that with, say, the newly proposed Republican bill in Missouri and Alabama, which would enable murder charges on anyone who got an abortion, provided an abortion, or helped someone acquire an abortion. Kansas, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Oklahoma have bills that would allow those who had abortions to be imprisoned, with Kentucky and South Carolina considering the death penalty for those people. The death penalty for something that was legal a year ago. The Republicans are right off the rails with this, and they are so out of touch with the will of the people. And you can see that clearly reflected in Michigan. Here's a state where Republicans had complete control of the legislature in 2018. 
but voted in 2022 for a proposed constitutional amendment that establishes the right for a pregnant person to make and carry out all decisions about pregnancy, including prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion, miscarriage management, and infertility. And while the amendment allows the state to regulate abortion after fetal viability, it won't prohibit the procedure if it is deemed medically necessary to protect the patient's life or their physical and mental health. I feel like I should point out here that no matter what the Republicans and the far-right activists say, no one has ever been pushing for completely unregulated abortion. Roe was already a compromise. No one is out here begging for some willy-nilly abortion-on-demand thoughtless bullshit that the Republicans keep trying to pin on abortion rights activists. People simply want to have the right to make decisions about their own health care and well-being in a reasonable way that coincides with our doctor's advice. This new amendment in Michigan contrasts so distinctly with the laws being passed by Republican-controlled governments. Michigan put out a citizen-led amendment on the ballot, while states like Florida are ignoring the will of their citizens and dictating government-mandated rules without majority support. The proposal was adopted in Michigan by a majority of the state, and that's what happens when you have a government that listens to its people. Michigan also voted in the midterms for a ballot initiative to establish the right to vote into the state's Declaration of Rights. Voters approved a constitutional amendment to make Michigan elections more secure, more modern, and more accessible. Among other things, this new initiative prohibits intimidation or interference of voters. It offers more drop boxes and absentee ballots, and it requires that absentee ballots include prepaid postage on return envelopes. Moving forward, the goal will be nine days of early in-person voting, which will mean shorter lines on Election Day. You will be able to request an absentee ballot to be mailed to you for future elections, and voters will be offered online absentee ballot tracking so voters can be confident that their votes are being counted. Finally, voters can also sign a statement affirming their identity if they don't have the correct photo identification at the time of their vote, but their identity will be verified before their vote is counted. Ultimately, the goal of the Michigan voter, and now the Michigan Democratic leadership, is that election results will be determined solely by the number of votes cast, not which party is in charge. What a frickin' revelation. This is the beauty of ballot measures, which I believe we should be looking at using far more efficiently across the states. Ballot measures are a way for people to tell their state what they want, rather than passively waiting for their legislatures to bring it up. Ballot measures feel more like a form of direct democracy because the citizens themselves can petition to place initiatives on the ballot once they've gathered the required amount of signatures from registered voters, and then that initiative can be brought out for a public vote. Now, of course, this is America with federalism and states' rights, so nothing is just cut and dry or the same from state to state. But right now, 26 states have initiatives and or referendum processes. The initiative process allows citizens to propose a new statute or constitutional amendment, just like Katie Fahey did for an independent commission. And the referendum process allows citizens to vote to uphold or repeal a law that is already passed in the legislature. Each state has different requirements for the amount of signatures and deadlines. But I love the idea of citizens speaking up and telling the government what they want rather than the government telling them what they're going to do. As a side note, it's probably not a big shock to know that the states that don't include the right to citizen-initiated ballot measures include most of the southern states and Texas. But to be fair, the eastern seaboard states, with the exception of Massachusetts, Maine, and Maryland, don't allow them either. But since this is a pod about Michigan, we need to note that Michigan voters wanted fair districts, fair voting, and to enshrine the right to their own bodies into the Constitution, and that's exactly what they got. So we can wring our hands over these terrible extremist Republican governments and their horrible regressive laws, or we can, wherever possible, get organized and fight back. Because when we do, Michigan proves we can reap major rewards. Today's pod is sponsored by Miracle Made Sheets. Did you know that traditional bed sheets can retain more bacteria than a public bathroom? I did not, and I find that information disgusting, which is probably why people can get acne or allergies or stuffy noses from their bed. These are things I wish I didn't know, but I'm also kind of glad I do too. This is why Miracle Made created a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, comforters, because they prevent 99% of bacteria. 
Miracle Made sheets are infused with silver, silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, meaning these sheets stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. Plus, Miracle Sheets are incredibly comfortable and feel nice, if not nicer, than some of the bed sheets used in five-star hotels. In fact, Miracle is so confident in their product that you have 30 days for a full money-back guarantee. We got our sheets, we did not send them back. If you are not 100% satisfied for any reason, you'll get a full refund, but I don't think you'll need it. Mother's Day, Father's Day, they're just around the corner. Maybe give your parents the gift of not sleeping in bacteria. It's a perfect way to give someone you love a gift of a healthier, more luxurious sleep. And right now, when you use the promo code POLITICSGIRL at checkout, you will save over 40% and get three free towels with your purchase. So go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code POLITICSGIRL to claim your three-piece towel set. Again, that is miracle.com slash politicsgirl to treat yourself or someone else to clean, gorgeous sheets and get 40% off. I mean, how can you go wrong? I'm so excited to talk to you about my new sponsor, Manakura Honey. Did you know that the best tasting honey on the planet comes from New Zealand? They're like the bee colony superstars of the world. In the remote forests of New Zealand, there's a specific group of bees who feed on the nectar of the Manuka tree, making a super honey that's unlike anything I've ever seen or tasted before. Manakora has mastered the art of beekeeping. Their founder's story is incredible, but the abridged version is that the man is blind and that he perfected the art of beekeeping using his other senses. Manakora has found a way to be environmental for the bees, to produce the honey in a very specific way, and to take the time to harvest and produce it so they don't have to heat treat it, with the result being what they call super honey, unique with antibacterial antioxidants and a flavor you've never tried before. My family is deeply into honey, and we have absolutely loved trying all the different kinds that come from Manakora. Every batch of Manakora is 100% traceable with a unique QR code on every jar, so you can verify its potency, its purity, and even learn about the specific beekeeper that harvested your honey. You can eat it straight from the spoon or add it to coffee, tea, pancakes, yogurt, salad dressing, whatever. It has a creamy caramel texture that I think you will find is unlike any other honey you've tried before. Manakora honey is available in a range of easy to use formats, including squeeze bottles and compostable honey sticks. So you can eat it straight or you can add it to your favorite food or drink. If you head to manakura.com politicsgirl or use the code politicsgirl, you will automatically get a free pack of honey sticks, a $15 value with your order. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A com slash politicsgirl or use the code politicsgirl to get a free pack of compostable honey sticks. You haven't tasted or seen honey like this before, so indulge and try some honey with superpowers from Manakora. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and what do mums love more than pictures of their kids or keeping up with their kids' lives? Aura frames are digital picture frames that bring all your photos and videos together in one stunning display. And the coolest thing is you can upload unlimited photos and videos from anywhere in the world using their app and Wi-Fi with no fees. You can even preload the frame with personalized messages and meaningful memories that will appear as soon as the recipient plugs them in. People often don't keep up with their printing or their framing, or they start getting too many photos and things become really cluttered. Aura helps you stay up to date with your pictures as well as connected with your family and friends who live far away. Our family will be giving Aura frames for gifts this year for Mother's and Father's Day, so I'll let you know how it goes. Apparently this is even good for family members who are not so tech savvy, so that would be me and my dad, and I will let you know how that goes too. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use the code politicsgirl to get up to $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frames. This deal ends May 14th, so you don't want to wait. Terms and conditions apply. Finally, today's podcast is brought to you by Dave. Dave is a banking app that has no interest, no late fees, and no credit check. A lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck, are struggling to make ends meet. And Dave understands that can be incredibly stressful, especially when an unexpected expense comes up. Dave has created an app where you can get your money sooner, so you don't have to worry if you don't have enough money to make it through the week. When you get into a pinch, Dave will help you with something called extra cash. If you find yourself with an unknown expense, Dave will give you the financial relief you need. They say, think of it as getting a helping hand from a future you. 
To try it out, download the Dave app from the App Store right now or go to dave.com slash politicsgirl. That's D-A-V-E dot com slash politicsgirl and sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member of the FDIC. And now, back to Michigan. One of the many things we can learn from Michigan, aside from abortion being a winning issue, is that it's quite clear that Democrats across the country should be working to expand voting rights ahead of the 2024 presidential election. The new chair of the Senate's Election and Ethics Committee in Michigan said that Michigan lawmakers are currently engaged in a very hard reset after repeated attempts by the Republicans when they were in charge to pass expanded voting restrictions and find a way to get around the governor's veto. So the new Democratic leadership has prioritized passing legislation to implement the voter protections the voters asked for in their new constitutional amendment. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson and the Democratic legislators recently announced a package of voting-related priorities ranging from making it a crime to spread election misinformation or harass and threaten election workers to banning the practice of paying petition gatherers per signature because it provides incentive for fraud to tapping into the Michigan budget surplus to help local jurisdictions carry out elections in a more efficient way. These kind of changes aren't easy, but in many places they are possible. And shoring up our voting rights means making sure our voices will be heard and registered the next time we cast a ballot. Just look around the country. One party is attempting to make voting easier, trying to make your civic duty less of a hassle, working to make sure all voices are heard, while the other party is working overtime to make sure less people can vote, trying to make it harder for people to get to the polls and harder for your vote to be counted. That alone should give you a sense of how the parties feel about the will of the people. Where Republicans are in charge, they are proposing law after law to restrict or intimidate voters. In Texas and Florida, the Republican-controlled legislatures have passed sweeping voter restrictions, with new proposals focusing on supposed election crimes. Texas has given additional enforcement powers to the state attorney general, himself a criminal, and to newly minted election marshals that they've put in charge. And I don't think I need to tell you how dangerous that is in a state that is so divided and so armed. But voter suppression isn't just happening at the state level. The Republicans voted as a block to stop the passage of the Voter Protection Act at the federal level. And with the filibuster in place, even the Democratic majority couldn't secure our rights. People like to say that the Democrats failed to protect voting rights while they controlled both chambers of Congress, but saying that fails to acknowledge that the system itself made that an impossible task. The Democratic senators already represent 40 million more people than the Republican senators, but without 10 Republican senators who were willing to vote with them for voter protections, something that doesn't benefit their party, that was never going to happen. The Democrats didn't fail. The system failed. So we can't pass sweeping federal voting right legislation that shores up our vote and gets dark money out of politics and makes gerrymandering illegal without the majority of Congress, a suspended filibuster, and a president willing to sign the bill. The Republicans are never going to help with that. So we have to be very serious that while we work to flip as many state legislatures as possible and get as many trifectas as possible, we still have to work to take back the House and expand the Senate so we have a chance to protect our votes and our rights federally. We also aren't getting any form of court reform without three branches of the federal government and a suspended filibuster. So just keep that in mind. For now, it's up to the states to protect their citizens' votes and be both proactive and defensive in that work to maintain and gain control of even more state houses. As I said before, we have started from behind, but it's time we caught up. One of the biggest ways we can catch up and expand our powers in state legislatures is to appeal to the youth vote. And again, Michigan is the success story we all need to be looking to. In 2022, young people in Michigan voted at a higher rate than young people in any other state. According to the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University, 37% of young voters in Michigan, those aged 18 to 29, turned out to vote, while the national average for youth voting was around 23%. 
Michigan was also one of the four states that had a higher youth turnout in the midterms of 2022 than the midterms of 2018. And according to that same report, young people were also the top age group saying abortion was the issue that most influenced their vote. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who incidentally will be on this pod in the next month, has noticed this phenomenon and is working with her administration to improve voting education for students at colleges and universities throughout the state. Benson said, We continue working with the Michigan colleges and universities and their local clerks to ensure young citizens can conveniently cast their ballot and know how to do so. She said, I'm thrilled to see that there's data recognizing the impact of this work. A strong democracy requires informed and engaged citizens. Michigan is leading the way to ensure our youngest voters are active participants in determining our future. In fact, it was the same day an automatic voter registration, along with the no-excuse absentee voting, that helped many more young people in Michigan vote for the first time in the 2022 election. Contrast that attitude with the leadership in the red states looking to make it harder for the youth to vote, moving polling places off campuses, requiring very specific ID, not taking student ID, making it illegal to bus students to the polls or register them to vote in certain places, and you can see what we're up against. GOP state legislatures are introducing a whole new wave of measures targeting young voters. Ohio recently passed sweeping voter restrictions, including more stringent voter ID requirements, cutting early voting periods, and giving voters less time to return their mail-in ballots. These new restrictions will make it harder for people who tend to lack the proper identification, or can't come in on certain days, or those who miss the deadline for mail-in ballots, people like the elderly and disabled, the poor, black and brown communities, to vote. Ohio even limited each county, regardless of its population size, to a single drop box. In a statement from Civic Influencers, a nonpartisan group that aims to increase youth voting and civic power, they said, each one of these new provisions will make it more difficult, if not impossible, for Black, Indigenous, Hispanic, and disabled youth of color in Ohio to cast their votes or have their votes counted. Camille Wimbish, the Election Administration Director at Ohio Voice, a civic engagement advocacy group, says that the idea that they passed these laws when there was no evidence of why these changes were needed and no input really from the public at all on these issues is alarming. In tightening its voting laws, Ohio, a politically competitive state, has become almost solidly Republican, and it joins a number of other states like Georgia, Florida, and Texas that have moved to restrict voting access to retain their own power. Voting rights groups say these GOP-authored bills, like the one in Ohio, are specifically targeting young people because they're generally more progressive, which Republicans see as a threat. And even if certain state proposals to restrict voting fail, it's likely that the Republicans are simply testing the waters and we will see the same legislation resubmitted and potentially passed in the future. As Chad Dunn, the co-founder and legal director of the UCLA Voting Rights Project, told the New York Times, when these ideas are first floated, people are aghast. And then six, eight, ten years later, we see these terrible ideas become the law. That is what we're seeing in many Republican-controlled states right now. These restrictive bills are also being introduced and passed as many conservative pundits and lawmakers are floating the idea of raising the voting age to 21 as a response to Gen Z's overwhelming support for Democrats. Again, what Republicans don't understand is that it's not Democrats the youth are supporting. It's freedom and human rights. This is the most educated, most critically thinking, most self-aware generation in American history. They're not stupid. They can see far more clearly what many of us who have voted our whole lives and still think America has two reasonable parties can't see. And that's that one party in America is fundamentally acting to curtail their freedom. That the Republican Party has got a fast pass to authoritarianism and Christian nationalism, and they want nothing to do with it. Fox host Jesse Waters recently told viewers that the youth of America have been brainwashed. In a misogynistic and weirdly anti-teacher rant, he said, A lot of these single women who vote for Democrats are teaching our younger generation in schools and polluting their minds. And then these kids grow up and they vote for leftists. This from the guy who thought it was romantic to secretly let the air out of his intern's tires so she had to accept a ride home from him in a dark parking lot. Perhaps... 
Knowing that, we shouldn't assume that Jesse really understands what motivates young people, and he should stay in his lane. Exit polls show strong youth support for Democrats, not because they were brainwashed by their teachers, but because they care about issues like climate change and reproductive rights and gun violence, all issues Republicans make worse. Which is why voters aged 18 to 24 voted 61% for Democrats, and voters aged 25 to 29 voted 65% for Democrats. My guess is it's not that our youth was taught by radical single cat ladies who rotted their young impressionable brains, but that this generation is aware enough to know that America has sold them a bill of goods. They don't want their rights taken away or their books banned. They believe that gay and trans people deserve to be treated like regular human beings and that women deserve the same autonomy over their body as men. They would like health care and a living wage and not to be dictated to by a bunch of double-dipping insider traders telling them who they can love. But no matter what motivates them, young voters need to be paying close attention to the threats on their voting rights because they are real. They need to meet the youth of Michigan at 37%, and they need to go up from there. Katie Fahey is a young person herself, and she points out that there are still 35 states in America that use congressional redistricting, but she believes what she and her team did in Michigan can be replicated in many of those other states. In order to get that ball rolling, she started a national not-for-profit called The People, which she hopes will help create more Katie's across the country and give frustrated citizens, especially frustrated young people, the tools to tackle the systemic issues they care about. She said, obviously, I'm working off really limited experience. I had one time where it worked out really well, but it's exciting to see how much it inspires people to make change. And that's the thing. I think the political machine has forgotten about the people, and I think the people have forgotten about their power within the political machine. But when things really get moving, and when people really are heard, like they're being heard in Michigan right now, then we can see how the pieces start to come together to make things better. As one of Katie's new investors said, we chose to invest in the people because we have a crisis of trust in America with a disengaged and disempowered constituents, and this is an innovative plan to combat that. As Katie herself points out, lobbyists, donors, and politicians often don't have the incentive to change the status quo. So who else is going to do it but the people? Politics in many ways is an industry. There are vendors and consultants and marketers and funding groups that work together to get people into office and then hope to have their favors granted and their bills passed. It's rare that public policy is driven by what the actual people want, which is why government approval ratings are so low or governments just ignore the will of the voter completely. But then you look at a state like Michigan where not only are the citizens putting things they want on the ballot, but their representatives are responding to the things they want in the legislature. And you can see how, with the right amount of effort, things really could be different in this country. While states like Florida continue their top-down government control, dictating to the people increasingly extreme laws from on high, stripping their citizens of many of their basic rights and freedoms, Michigan is using a people-up approach, listening to the voters and passing laws that protect their rights and freedoms and reflect their will across the state. As Katie said, I don't want to paint politicians and others as bad guys. They clearly have a model that looks after their institution. But the problem is, when you have the majority of the people demanding something, you shouldn't get in the way of that. You're there to serve them. And if they don't, then it should be okay for citizens to make the change themselves. Michigan proves that can really happen. Ultimately, the trust in American institutions is at an all-time low. We feel cynical and despondent. It's clearly not working. And we either have to figure out a better way to do this in order to hold people accountable and rebuild our trust in democracy, or this country is going to end up going in another direction. And none of those alternatives are good. As Winston Churchill said, democracy is the absolute worst form of government, except for all the other forms that have been tried. So messy as it is, we really should try and hold on to it. I'll leave you with this. There's a story often told that upon exiting the Constitutional Convention, Benjamin Franklin was approached by a group of citizens asking what sort of government the delegates had created. His answer was, a republic, if you can keep it. His brief response shouldn't devalue the essentialness of those words. 
Democratic republics are not just founded on the consent of the people, they're also dependent on the active and informed involvement of those same people for its continued good health. Our democracy requires constant attention and devotion of all of its citizens to remain a force for good. Florida shows us what happens when the people are left out of the decisions, and Michigan shows us what happens when the people are dealt back in. So that's it. I don't care if you've always been a Republican. This is no longer a choice between conservatism and liberalism. This is the choice between a government that listens to its voters and a government that ignores them. This is the difference between respecting the will of the people and dictating the will of the government. In some cases, this is the difference between life and death. There is only one party right now that still believes in democracy, and they show us that in the laws they pass to protect our votes and our voice. No matter where you stand politically or what state you reside in geographically, that is the party you should be supporting if you want your voice to continue to be heard. It doesn't matter who you are. Every single person can help. Every single one of us can make a difference in deciding which way this country goes. And every single one of us should want it to go the way of Michigan. I want to thank you for joining me today and for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.